This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Today, our guest is John Strohmeyer, and he's the proprietor of Strohmeyer Law PLLC in Houston, uh, where he assists individuals and businesses with cross-border tax planning, estate planning, and estate administration. John is also board certified in both tax law and estate planning and probate law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. Welcome, John. Appreciate you joining us. Sure. Gary, thanks for having me on. So what made you pursue a career um, in law? So when I was graduating college, I thought I was going to be a doctor like my dad and my brother, but ultimately realized through a few class choices that upper level chemistry was not my strongest suit. So I started looking elsewhere and through a much longer story than is interesting, ended up realizing that going to law school where, you know, read the rules, figure out how to work within the rules and then convince people of how those rules work. That was going to be my kind of preferred mode of helping people. I then took a four-year detour to go work for the four seasons before ultimately going back to law school. So what, what made you pick your specialty that you're, that you're doing now? So I started off thinking because of my background in science, I would end up being an intellectual property or IP attorney working patent law, things like that. It just wasn't that interesting to me. Uh, I took the basic class and realized that the things that I thought were interesting really didn't have much of a future in them, which is fine. There are plenty of other people who uh, have their careers in it, but I realized that I enjoyed working in tax and I started taking tax classes, enjoyed them, took some more tax classes, still enjoyed them, took some more, ended up after graduation going and getting a master's in tax law because I enjoyed it that much. So three years of law school wasn't enough. I needed that fourth. So you're a real glutton for punishment. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. So what was that time where you kind of have, you know, decided, okay, I, I'm, I really want to go out and do this on my own. Um, and, and why did you choose to do that? So the, you know, I initially wasn't going to have much of a choice in it. I graduated law school in 2009 and my LLM in 2010. So I thought I had dodged that 2009 turn down by right. sticking it out, you know, hiding out in school for one more year. Turns out I didn't. Uh, it was still there waiting for me at the end of 20 or when I graduated in 2010. And there were no jobs. So I thought I was going to be working for myself right out of law school. Now I ended up having, uh, ended up finding a job, which is much better to have somebody else take on a lot of that risk for the first few years. I 
jumped between a few firms a few times, but it wasn't until I'd been practicing for almost a decade that I was finally, you know, I think I can go out and do this by myself. So um, tell us, what are uh, some of the things that um, your clients aren't asking you when they first come in to see you that you really wish that they would ask you? Oh, there's an entire YouTube series of the questions I wish clients would ask more, but it's the, well, we've signed documents. What do we do now? It's, you know, so many of them think, well, this document signing means everything's handled. And really what I try and get clients to understand is documents help, but ultimately clients don't care if I give them a will or a living trust or a singing bush that tells everybody what to do once they've died. You know, their plan is something that does need some kind of rare, regular care and maintenance because it's not, you know, it's not the sofa that you bought a decade ago that still fits in your house that you're in now and will probably fit in the new house you move into in a few years. It's, you know, you're, you're going back, taking a look at it to see, well, what's going to pass under this will or trust? You know, have we put the assets in there? Have have we checked to make sure that we haven't gotten any new assets? It really is. It's not just a document problem. It's making sure does the plan work how we think it does. So lots of times what, what I have found um, also is that lots of times with the, the trust and wills and these plans that are put together, people don't understand that, that and I'm going to say that they're living, breathing documents and that they change over time because of, of your situation. And I've really found that many times people don't change, you know, right. along the way. So what are, you know, in, in talking about that, what are some of the biggest fears uh, or concerns that the clients come in to you with and how do you address those for them? A lot of times clients just think they have a lack of documents problem. It's just, you know, have the lawyer throw some documents at it and it'll be fine. And that's not the issue. It's, it does take, and it took me a while to figure this out. My job is not only to help them come up with the plan, but I need them to help see what their plan is and what it looks like. Because it's not, you know, it, it's not just as simple as, well, you know, leave everything to my spouse, otherwise to my kids. That's 98% of people's plans. I know that before I even sit down with people. You know, that it's not surprising when people tell me. And so they get caught in, well, I'm just simple because that's my plan. It's like, well, sure that is. You don't need me to help you with that part. It's, you know, you've got the plan roughly outlined, but now how do we match where you are with where you're going? You know, sure. You want your kids to get equal shares, but you know, what does that look like? And are, how are we going to plan around one kid who needs more help? If you've got young kids, what does that actually look like? Because, I mean, so many times people think, oh, well, I've just, you know, named my three kids as beneficiaries of the 401k, but they're three, six, and nine. Right. That's going to cause a lot of other problems, even though you're going to end up leaving assets to your kids in equal shares. It doesn't, it doesn't adapt, at, you know, your specific details are going to cause bigger problems and bigger headaches later on because you haven't, you're just, you clients don't know what to look for and don't know how, what they're doing will cause bigger problems. So 
you know, I think so many times, you know, the, the people come into the, into your office or talk to you and they're looking at, you know, they're just looking at asset protection. What are some of the other things that they need to worry about when they're looking at this besides just asset protection? Um, there are a number of things, you know, we're always thinking about tax planning. So I'm primarily thinking estate and gift tax issues. Mm-hmm. And right now people think, oh, well, the exemption is 11.58 million. And then people get in their mind, well, it's 11.58 million for me and my spouse. But the problem is it doesn't work that way. The tax, you know, state and gift tax, I'm telling clients, you know, at least for right now, once you hit 5 million, that's when we need to start thinking about it because you're in the zone of being potentially taxable for a state gift because in 2026, the exemption comes way down. And that's, you know, that's assuming there are no changes to the law between now and then. Joe Biden has proposed a three and a half million dollar exemption, which means you know, my $5 million mark is going to come down to 3 million. Right. If that gets passed, because we need to be thinking about it before you hit that limit. Right. What about things? Um, people always talk about, oh, well, you know, for, for their, for their parents or something, it's like, oh, well, I have, I have power of attorney all over my parents stuff. So when they pass away, I can take care of everything. What, what, tell us what the problem with that is. Yeah, well, the problem is those powers of attorney are only good while the while the principal, the person who signed it and authorized the agent, uh, the person authorized to do uh, do transactions, is alive. So once the principal passes, that document is no longer any good. It you know it doesn't matter what you authorize them to do. The estate is now the owner of those assets. At least you know here in Texas, there's I know some of the other states have some slightly different rules, but generally. Once a person passes, those assets are no longer, those powers of attorney are no longer any good. I mean, obviously the medical power, there's nothing else to do, but a financial or a durable power of attorney that says you can manage this asset, you can sell and buy, doesn't matter. The the principal has passed. They can no longer authorize anybody through that power of attorney. You're looking at a will or a trust agreement that would manage assets. So... With for our you know high net worth um, individuals or families um, with business things like that, what are some of the ways that um, we can help them minimize their estate taxes? I mean, I know you said, hey, once we kind of get currently get to about five million, we really need to start talking about things. What are some of the things that you're going to talk to them about? So a lot of people think that you know we need to jump right into the deep end of the pool for estate tax planning. Let's do the complicated trusts with all the acronyms, the Cuperts, the Gratz, the Rolling Gratz, Nimkrutz, Nykrutz, all, all those fun things. But I want, you know, I want to progress my clients through the free and easy options first, because we can still do a lot of planning with the things that don't require setting up a lot of additional structures. If a client's, you know, if they don't already have a lot of, uh, oh, what am I saying? Um, if they don't have the infrastructure to handle a new trust or something else like that, that's going to fall to me. And I've got to make sure that this plan goes, go, goes out as it should. So it's much easier to start using things like the annual gift tax exemption, uh, the, or the exclusion, the lifetime gifting, 
for medical and educational, we can do a lot of gifting with that for a lot of families. And, you know, even for, I mean, I've got one family right now with $11 million, they're twice what my limit is. But what I don't want them to do is give things away to their kids right now and potentially put the, you know, grandparents in the position of having to borrow money back from the kids or be in retirement and have to say to the kids, well, uh, we gave you too much. Can you give some of that back? I really want to make sure that my clients, you know, it's worth planning to, you know, have some, you know, some risk tolerance for estate tax, because even though there's a chance that the exemption could drop by a huge amount, we still want to make sure that our clients aren't mad at us for do you know pushing the you know give it all away use that exemption right now and right. i've got a, another client who's at about 20 million but she's in her early 40s sure she's going to you know we expect her to live a long time i don't want her giving things away to her kids right now because the the odds are she's going to be around for a while and we can just kind of do the small small gifts that add up over time instead mm-hmm. of oh my god push you know push $5 million out because it may never come back. That's going to affect her lifestyle. And that's part of my job is to kind of take into account. It's not just the tax burden. It's what are the other things going on in the client's life that we should be managing? Right. So um, can you explain about, you know, the portability and, and why it's important to, to use it? Sure. So I actually don't use a lot of portability. Um, the, the reason it's good is you get to port over the remaining or unused, uh, deceased spouse's exemption amount to a surviving spouse, which is a good thing. You get to get the benefit of it. The downside is you're, you can't port over the GST exemption. Mm -hmm. So it's good if you're going to be making gifts to your kids, but if there's a chance that it will end up in the hands of your grandkids, we potentially don't have enough exemption there. So what I'm usually looking at is how can we, you know, we're including options so that we can take advantage of all of that exemption, not just the estate tax. So it's, you know, it's a call. It's a, we want to look at where you are and what we think is going to happen. And I mean, I still have plans that we're doing portability with, but for most of the, most of my clients, we want to make sure that we're not leaving that, tax exemption on the table. Right. What, um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now? Oh, goodness. Um, there are a lot of challenges, Scary. Where do I even begin on those? <laughs> uh, I mean, from a planning perspective, it's getting clients to see that, you know, like life is going back to normal. You know, it's a, I hate to say it, cliche at this point, it's our new normal, things are still getting done. And so this work still needs to be done. We ended up having a you know three week pause where there were no new calls uh, for the last three weeks of March. Right. And that was terrifying. And then, I mean, literally it was April 1st, the phone started ringing again. And re- having clients realize, you know, we still have to go through, move forward on all of this. And you've got to have some sort of plan that the worst part is when I've got clients who 
just drag out some of the smaller decisions, the less likely to happen, but we still need to address issues. And it holds up the entire plan because if you have a draft document, but you didn't sign it, it's as though you had nothing. So in, in, for, um, in Texas, how are they um, handling, okay, you're meeting virtual with someone and the actual signing of documents, are, are you still required to you know, meet them in the office and physically have them sign everything? Or is Texas allowing you to uh, do the signing virtually? Uh, we have some virtual signatures for kind of plan protection. I still prefer having wedding signatures with everybody in person. It's just easier to get that done. But we've we've made do in a few cases where we're allowed to get it. Uh, we're allowed to use that virtual signing. Okay. So it, yeah, it's. I mean, it, what I look at is down the line. Could somebody challenge this document? and say, well, you weren't all together, or you were. And so how can we make it easier? We can do other things where, you know, holographic or handwritten, handwritten wills are fully viable in Texas. So having those set up so that people, we don't need witnesses for these documents. I can show up to a client's house. I've done plenty of front, front door signatures where I'm not coming in the house. We're keeping our distances. But, you know, I'm watching from six feet away that clients are, um, you know, they're signing it. I'm the notary getting it signed in front of me right. and we're getting it taken care of without witnesses in, in a way that still works with Texas law. And it's been nice to kind of realize there are options that even after we go back, we'll have those in our pocket of it's just easier and for everybody involved. So, um, you know, since uh, going out on your own here, what are some of the most important things that you've learned so far? Um, and how has that helped you, you know, get new clients? Oh, goodness. Uh, so many different lessons <laughs> learned. You know, I had that first career working for the Four Seasons. So I've always been trying to bring in what I learned from that from that experience at the Four Seasons, just because, you know, other lawyers, doctors, accountants, engineers, you know, most of us just go straight from high school to college, you know, whatever grad school there may, may be. And then we're right in middle management with no practical, you know, basic job experience that lasted more than two or three months, you know, a summer job here or there. So it's, how can I bring back what I learned at the hotel about structuring representations so that it's easy for not only me as the owner, but me as an employee of my firm, my employees and my clients, because it's got to work for all three groups, not just me as the owner or not just putting the client on the pedestal of we'll do whatever they want. We've got to take care of it in a way that it's sustainable for them and for us. Right. So um, who's your ideal client and kind of what are the pain points that they usually come into you with that you're able to help them alleviate? Yeah, we work primarily with three client groups, uh, you know, high net worth, estate planning, that and probate. That's where we start. Um, I do a lot of work in international tax. So individuals either US-based with foreign assets 
or foreign individuals who have U.S.-based assets. And then finally, uh, an acronym I learned about a year or two ago, the Henrys or high earners who are not rich yet. Right. So, you know, the young doctors, lawyers, accountants who are more likely than not to end up with bigger tax problems down the line. We're, you know, kind of taking them in now, knowing that we want to build that relationship and keep them around. So, um, you do education seminars and different things for different groups. What are some of the things that, that you that you do? I do a lot of uh, writing and speaking for I mean, CPAs, like hearing about the international tax. I did a recording last week on the basics of international tax for CPAs so that they, you know, here's what to look out for. If you haven't dealt with it, this issue is only going to get bigger. You need to know what the warning signs are, but also for lawyers on part of what I do there. Um, based on my background at the hotel, I do a lot of writing and speaking on client service issues and what I've done, um, depending on when this comes out, the podcast that I've started on it should be out. Right. Uh, just to like here, this is what to think about and a way to differentiate between, you know, the technical services that we as advisors provide you know, we, we too, all too often get lumped in with Disney's and restaurants and Four Seasons, like as service economy. And it does a disservice to both because, you know, people go to Disney to have fun. They come to us to solve a problem. Right. And that's a very different thing. And, it, you know, neither one's wrong. But, you know, once we get hired to solve our problem, they're not going to say, you know, I had such a great time working with John on that tax issue. I want to I want to go back and do that again. You know, I want to buy that a second time. Right. I mean, it, they may come back to us for a different issue, but ultimately, you know, they're going to have their 2020 1040. Once that's filed, you'll come back for the 2021 1040, but you're not going to come back and redo. That's a separate, different task that needs to be done versus, you know, I'd go to Disneyland just about every day if I could. Right. And it doesn't matter, you know, like there's not a problem or a pain point. There's just a, I'd love to spend some time at Disneyland. So if, um, you know, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, I mean, what's the what's the best way for them to to get in touch with you, um, to 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 learn more about John and you know your practice and and how you do things? Well, uh, doing a search for Strohmeyer Law anywhere online is the best way to find us. So we you know, website of strohmeyerlaw.com, phone numbers and contact information is there. You can set up your initial calls. If you've got questions, I mean, even if it's a, uh, we've got a special link for advisors who want to talk just about questions they've got on estate planning or international tax. I'm also uh, throwing things on YouTube as the quick answers that we get all the time or the quick, quick answers to the questions we get all the time. Like clients are always asking these, it's better for us to put those answers out. They can get those, you know, not only for my clients, but for the people who I'm sure it's true for CPAs. You get that, oh, it's just a quick question. I'm sure it won't take you any time. All the time. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's just easier. Go to YouTube. There's plenty of free answers there. And it helps me pro you know, protect the time that I've got for the clients I'm working with from the folks who are confused. Here, Here's a free answer. And it kind of keeps the boundaries where they should be. Right. So what what would you like to share with us that, I haven't asked you already. Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, there is so much 
there. I mean, I, Gary, you know, in the, the short time that we've got, I think we've, we've hit a lot of the really high points. Um, I'm here. If you've got questions, go ahead, reach out. I'm happy to help folks when they've got questions, especially on the international tax. It comes up all the time of what should I be thinking about? And, you know, in a lot of cases, I get the first call on a lot of tax clients and I end up referring them back and saying, look, this, you, know, you don't need me, the tax attorney yet. You need a CPA to do that tax planning work first. If they have questions, they'll come back and get me involved when they don't know, you know, when, when they hit a roadblock, that's when I can be of service, but just the, oh, well, we're going to plan for this. How do we do it? I don't want to, I don't want to start telling somebody, here's how you report something without having the CPA involved, right. who's going to be, you know, signing the return. Right, right. All right. So, um, you know, one more time, your website. Uh, uh, Strohmeyerlaw.com. So S-T-R-O-H-M-E-Y-E-R-L-A-W.com. All right. So uh, today our guest has been John Strohmeyer with Strohmeyer Law PLLC. John, I really appreciate your time today. Gary, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Thanks. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.